Hi, welcome to the Your Adrenal Fix podcast, where we help exhausted and burnt out adults learn the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. My name is Dr. Joel Rosen, and I've suffered with my own adrenal fatigue problem, and now I've made it my mission to tell the truth about adrenal fatigue so that we can get to the root cause of your problem and really teach you how to put the puzzle pieces together so that you could tap into your hidden energy reserves and have all day energy. So this podcast is for anyone who's struggling for years or feeling overwhelmed and burnt out or you're just feeling stuck you're going to get cutting edge information from all our different guests in different respected health fields to give you those important tidbits of information so that you can actually act on them and improve your health join us for our podcast i know you will enjoy it All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of The Truth About Your Health, where we teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about their health so that they can get their energy back quickly. And what a pleasure it is to have our next guest, Dr. Mindy Pels, who is a best-selling author, speaker, fasting expert, renowned holistic health coach, and her mission is to get a million people fasting. She has a popular YouTube channel with videos about alternative health tips and fasting and has garnered over 15 million lifetime views. She has her Resetter podcast. She founded and hosts, and it's Apple Top 40 in the US. She's also the author of three books, Menopause pause reset the reset factor and the reset kitchen and she's soon to have fasting like a girl coming out i could go on and on but we only have a certain amount of time to actually get into the meat and potatoes of today's talk so mindy thank you so much for for being here today oh thank you joel i'm excited to be here it's my favorite topic so i love chatting about this yeah for sure we like to be nerds together and we can do that and go down these rabbit holes just sometimes and i'm sure you're you're not going to do it but sometimes when we get nerdy we we get too into the scientific scientific stuff so we'll keep it uh on the on the very superficial level and um i always like to know stories of how you got into this so i know you're trained traditionally as a chiropractor um you just mentioned to me you made a pivot during covid but maybe take us through the 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 30 second almost elevator speech of how you got to where you are now from where you were before let's yeah. kind of go through there yeah yeah the the short version of a very long story uh is that you know i've been in practice it's been well 27 years um and i started to notice about 10 years into my chiropractic practice that people just weren't healing at the same rate um, that they were when I first got out of school and uh, symptoms were hanging around longer. People were showing up with more symptoms. And so I started to look at what was happening. Was it our food? Was it our environment? Was it stress? And it, you know what I found was all of the above that the modern world had changed and it was dramatically affecting the way people were healing. So I went searching for answers and started really doing nutritional work, detox work and with patients getting good results, but it wasn't until I had my own health crisis at 43, when my hormones started to shift going through perimenopause that I truly found fasting and realized that I could solve so much of my healing crisis, my personal healing crisis and my patients healing challenges through the art of fasting. And it was free. 
and it's time efficient and it's backed by science. And so I literally geeked out and became obsessed with fasting, which was about 10 years ago. And I haven't lost my enthusiasm yet. No, that's a great story. There's nothing like living the, the health challenge for you to be fully invested and to be able to uh, learn the ins and outs and actually talk with integrity. Because I find a lot of problems are with doctors or even you look at the the broke financial planner or the you know the teacher that's not educated or the doctor that's not healthy so thank you for for having that integrity yeah. as far as the the thrifty gene hypothesis i think that's a good springboard for you started 10 years ago you had your own health crisis you realized that hey this thing fasting so maybe take us through the genesis or the evolution of of that and and we'll get we'll start from there yeah well so you know it's really fun to, to tell people because when they go to look at my social media they're like they assume that i've been fasting my whole life and uh that's not the case i was literally the the hangry person if you didn't feed me i was gonna take you down and i got up and ate breakfast was the first thing i did in the morning i was the believer that if you ate six to eight times a day small meals it would raise your metabolism and so what happens uh, when women go into their 40s is our estrogen production and progesterone goes down. And in that decline of hormones, we become more weight loss resistant. We become more insulin resistant. The mitochondria have to work harder. So what I started to look at was just something as simple as the timing of when I ate. And that's when I discovered the thrifty gene hypothesis, which is so fascinating and i have a whole section on it in fast like a girl because i don't think it's highlighted enough which is if we go back to the caveman days when we look at how cave people managed food they were able to go long periods without food and then when they made a kill they feasted so our genetics our human body is programmed to do what we call feast famine cycling and in the famine, we tap into a whole another energy system. A lot of people know this is the ketogenic energy system. I call it the fat burning system, but the body will switch over to a different fuel source. And that ketogenic energy system is like supercharging your cells. So you start to make ketones, it makes your brain stronger, it kills hunger, brings down inflammation, and it makes you specifically more capable of going and hunting the next meal, which is what the thrifty gene hypothesis is, is that because of the need to survive in the harsh conditions of the cave person days, we have a genetic expression that came out of that. And that genetic expression, we are now, is now infiltrated into our human bodies that makes us programmed to fast. And when we don't fast, we start to become more insulin resistant. So, because we're going against our genetic expression. So we can blame it on food. We can blame it on sugar. We can blame it on stress. Uh, we can blame it on toxins. Um, and all of those are valid points why insulin resistance is so high, but we got to come back to the fact if you are not fasting, if you have not compressed your eating window, elongated your fasting window, you are literally going against your genetic makeup. And that is why when people learn to fast, 
they not only make themselves insulin sensitive again, but they, they tap into how their genes want the body to, and the fuel to come in. No, it's a great, great answer. And I, I think that the more simplified explanations we give things, the more people that aren't studied in, in sort of the sixth standard deviation of what we do resonate and they could resonate with the same. Yeah, I was a hangry person. If I'm not eating every, every couple of hours, actually, my provider told me and, you know, I'm trained in exercise physiology. I was a personal trainer and in the early years, I think I'm probably around the same age as you where we would tell people the smaller meals, more frequent yep. meals is what helps to stabilize that glucose. And so what I guess what was the aha that you had yourself personally to know like, oh my goodness, I'm 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 doing exactly the antithesis of my how my genes are telling me what I should be doing. What what was that aha moment that you had? Yeah, it's, you know, I think the aha moment came around 43 when I was starting to gain weight. I was not sleeping. I was mentally exhausted, crashing at three in the afternoon. And I, all my old tricks weren't working. So I tried to exercise my way out of it. I tried to supplement my way out of it. I tried to change my nutrition. Like I was trying everything I could to get my body back to its 30 year old version of itself. And it would have been really easy in that moment to say, oh, I'm 42, I'm aging. But what you and I know about the human body is it's built to last, it's built to thrive and in well into your hundreds. So you're not meant to go down at 40. And so I think the aha moment for me was, gosh, my old tricks aren't working. So I need to implement something new. And you know what I know about the human body, and I think you and I really line up on this, is that it's meant to heal itself. And so when the body's not working the way we want it to work, you didn't get the wrong supplement. You didn't get the wrong diet. You didn't get the wrong exercise program. There is something that you forgot that you have to tap into that, that will turn on innate intelligence and let that intelligence do its job. So I think that was my aha moment is the old stuff wasn't working. Yeah, for sure. And so as far as we have this thrifty gene programmed into our DNA, and as you mentioned, it's definitely environmentally, it, it, it's that much more important to, to tap into that, let alone as we get older. And that's a good segue into there's this thing called metabolic syndrome and how it's just at a crazy incident and, and how many people have it. So maybe tell us a little bit more about that, Mindy, and what's actually what your research and what the research is showing as to what's going on with that. Yeah, it's a great question. And this is a big part of how I started to, to really launch into educating the world was that the rates of metabolic syndrome. And I think where it really got highlighted was in 2020, March, 2020, um, when the pandemic was first hitting, there was a lot of discussion about comorbidities and like, what are these quote comorbidities? And a study came out of the University of North Carolina showing that here in America, we only have 12% of Americans that are metabolically fit. Now let's talk about what it means to be metabolically fit. You've got to have a great fasting, a, an appropriate level of a fasting insulin appropriate levels of fasting glucose, meaning that when you wake up in the morning and you've been fasting during bed, you need to have your glucose and insulin levels be in within normal range. You need to have uh, the, the normal 
whatever we've decided normal is waist circumference. You need to have normal blood pressure. You need to have normal cholesterol. You need to have um, uh, no damage, any fatty liver issues. All of that needs to be normal without medication. So this is the key. You have a lot of people walking around going, well, my blood pressure is normal. My cholesterol is normal, but they're taking medication. If we took everybody off of medication, and then you would start to see where this metabolic imbalance is really growing. So, and then I will add to this because I think that it's easy to, to just point fingers at blood work, but I really want to point out that if you cannot go without food for longer than 10 hours, you are metabolically unfit. You should be able to go 10, I think optimum 13 to 15 hours without food is considered intermittent fasting. If you can't hit that without wanting to kill somebody or pass out, you've got some metabolic health issues that need to be addressed. Yeah, that's a great answer. It's interesting, Mindy. I went to the A4M meeting, which was in Hollywood, Florida, to my first one to go. And while I was encouraged, for sure, to see traditional doctors start to really embrace the concept of food and nutrition, um, I, I usually don't swear on my on my podcast, but it's like, yeah, no shit, like food does this for you, you know, yeah. like you're, Welcome to like reality, but it was nice. But one of the, one of the presenters who I really liked, he talked about when, when we go to bed or let's say you have your last meal at seven and then you don't eat until seven. And now we want to call this intermittent fasting, but that's like life, right? Like how do we not just, how how did we get so far away from that? It's just, it's, it's amazing. So I, I, and I guess with, to your point too, that without medication, I think that's a great, great way to, to quantify that. Um, but even, and also to making sure you could go at least 10, 12 hours without wanting to kill someone. I think that's another way to quant- quantify that. And then la- lastly, though, those ranges that they have are even still pretty broad, where I think the number, maybe you would agree that would even be higher than 88%. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really, I mean, the, 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 that's why I I throw that last one in there. If you're able to go effortlessly 13 to 15 hours without food, your weight is in good place. Your blood pressure and cholesterol are in in good shape without medication. Those are some pretty tried and true, um, examples, but, um, I think the problem is that when a symptom appears, we medicate it. And now we call that body normal and healthy. But if we just take something like blood pressure the, the, when blood pressure goes up, that is a warning sign. There is something in the body out of balance. So when we take a medication to bring it down, we are killing the warning sign. And then what will happen is it's going to, something else is going to break in the body. So I really love this idea that let's start with the natural rhythms of the body and see what we can do to fix the, the body naturally and fasting. I don't know why, but the timing of food hasn't been given and highlighted as much as it should. It is now, but when I get like last Christmas, I got on a bunch of news shows and people were asking, they're like, oh, is this fasting thing still going on? Why is this so popular? And to me, that's like saying, oh, we're still excited about sleep. Why is sleep so popular? Because it is a natural way in which your body wants to be treated. It's not going anywhere. So it's time for us to figure out how to create a rhythm around it. Because just like sleep's going to heal you, fasting's going to heal you as well. 
Yeah, and I remember I, I listened to your your amazing lecture at the Biohacking Congress conference, and you were saying something about, well, the fasting thing didn't work for me, and it's like, well, that's like saying sleep didn't work for me. That's right. So, so why don't you go into what actually happens when you fast and why it's so important to do that? Yeah. Oh, th this is my favorite part because this is where if you're not a believer now, you're going to be a believer. So the, the thing to realize is that we're burning energy from two systems, sugar burner, fat burner. When you eat, you're now in the sugar burner system. If you eat a really high sugary meal, it's going to take anywhere from eight to 10 hours for that glucose to come down and for the signal to tell your body to go into fat burning. So eight to 10 hours is where the switch usually begins to happen. If you take a lower carbohydrate meal, you're eating more healthy carbs, healthy fats, that switch may happen a little faster. But about at 10 hours, now your body is sensing that something is going, that, is, that food isn't coming in and that it needs to make its own chemicals. So that usually happens about 10. We got that switch. And you'll start to see the byproduct of these chemicals usually about 13 hours. The biggest one is ketones. So ketones start to get made. Your brain operates off of 50% glucose, 50% ketones. So when the brain senses ketones, it kills hunger and it starts to create better mental clarity and better energy. Now, when you start to get to like 17 hours of fasting, the body is now senses, gosh, food's not coming in. I'm going to make sure the cells, all the trillions of cells in our body start to repair themselves, that they become more efficient. So it stimulates something called autophagy, where the cells start to clean themselves up. Old recycled parts that aren't working, mitochondria, endoplasmic reticulum, things within the cells that are dysfunctional get repaired. I look at it kind of like a Roomba that you put in your house, you turn it on and it vacuums the floor on its own. That's what autophagy is. It's cleaning those cells up. At 24 hours in this fasted state, your digestive system goes, okay, we're not getting any food. Let's repair so that when food comes in, we can be more efficient. So you get what we call intestinal stem cells that you'll get a production of those. It'll helps with a leaky gut. It helps to change the microbiome profile. That happens at 24 hours. 36 hours, your body goes and finds the fat that it needs to burn. So those of you that are weight loss resistant at 36 hours, it'll go find that and burn it. And you can unstick weight loss resistance at 48, you reboot all your dopamine pathways and you create new dopamine receptor sites. So you're going to experience joy in a, in a deeper way. And then the big Mac daddy one is 72 hours where the whole immune system reboots itself new stem cells go surging through the body. People spend $10,000, $20,000 on stem cell injections. And once you learn to three-day water fast, you can get yourself a nice dose of stem cells just from the act of doing that. So the, the longer we go, the more healing happens. Right, right. So, and I know you have a Reset Academy, but at the same time, Mindy, maybe talk to us about, I always say you have to earn the right to be able to, to do that in terms yeah. of, you're not just gonna say, okay, I'm gonna run a marathon and I'm gonna go this weekend to, to run it. You know, you have to buy your shoes and put on put them on and, and stretch out the muscles. So how does, cause you and I see it where 
those people that it doesn't work for yeah. because they don't have the ability or they test it after 14 to 16 hours and they're still at 123 or 135. So what's going on there and how do they stair step their way into earning the right to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. So the, here's, the, here's the first four changes to make if you want to start to get into the groove of fasting. The first three have to do with your food. So the first one, believe it or not, is get the toxic oils out and add in the good ones. So these are your canola, your corn, your cottonseed, your soybean, um, vegetable. Those are all toxic oils that make it very difficult to switch into fat burning mode. So get those out. Second thing is get off the man-made refined carbohydrates. Get the breads, the cakes, the pastas. This includes, includes gluten-free. Get off the gluten, off of all of these processed carbs that you'll find in the middle of your grocery store and switch to nature's carbs. Nature's created some amazing carbohydrates for you with potatoes and fruits and even vegetables. So switch over to that. The third is to really get off any toxic ingredients. These are your red dyes, your um, Olestra, your Splenda, your NutraSweet, um, you know, any of the artificial colorings, those are also going to make that switch hard. So once you've done those three things, and you could do it even 80%, you know, 20%, leaving 20% of the time where you eat those things if you choose. Once you've gotten off those three, what you do is you look at when you eat and you start to compress your eating window. And the e easiest way to do this is push breakfast back an hour. Some people like to push dinner up the hour before, the day before, but I usually say push breakfast back an hour. You actually want it to be a little uncomfortable because when you get to that discomfort, hormetic, a hormetic response will kick in. And hormesis is where when the body's under a small amount of stress, it builds itself stronger. So you push your breakfast back an hour, do that every day for a week. Then once that gets easy, you push it back another hour, get used to that discomfort and then push it back another hour. And usually what I find is if you approach that within a two to two to four weeks, you should be at 15 hours effortlessly because your body wants to do it. It's just, you have to undo what the modern world is, has conditioned your body to crave. Yeah. You know, and then that gets into, we talked a little bit earlier about the role of the microbiome and for those stubborn, I guess, adopters, to or adapters both thing actually just as an aside i talked to one of the lecturers who's a professor phd md jocelyn center clinic director um, he mentioned that polyunsaturated um, are all oils are created equal and that um, olive oil and corn oil both canola oil are the same things and i asked him at, at the end of the lecture i said I, just a quick question. I, I mean, you mentioned canola oil was was very healthy. That studies show that polyunsaturated will also lower triglycerides and raise HDLs. Is, is that have there been studies that actually tested the different kinds of polyunsaturated? But there was really no comment. So I, I think it's unfortunate that we're still at the higher institute ivory towers are, are still teaching that these unhealthy oils are everything is created equal. And I, I think I love the four, um, the four things that you can do, especially the oils and the heating the oils and you go to Whole Foods and you think it's healthy, but then it has those oils. So maybe speak to just a quick little soundbite on, 
do you feel that all oils are created equal or do you feel that that there's challenges with some of those and you know yeah it's it's such a good thank you for asking it because i think what happens is when the ketogenic movement happened and people started losing weight what we heard is carbs are bad carbs are bad but I don't know about you, Joel, but if you go out to dinner with me and a bunch, bunch of my functional medicine friends, the number one ingredient we're looking at when we go out to eat is what oils are they cooking with? And the reason is that the current research is showing these, it's saturated, and it's not, it's the inflammatory oils. So um, it's, it can be polyunsaturated, it can be, it can be saturated. There's a lot of different versions of these harmful oils, but what they do is they inflame the outer cell membrane and one, and, and think of it like congestion. So they congest the outer cell membrane. Well, that cell membrane is what is allowing hormones to get into the cell and nutrients to get into the cell. So if you're eating the bad oils over and over again, you're literally blocking vitamin D out from the cell. You're blocking insulin out from the cell. You're blocking estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, all the things you want and thyroid hormone to get into the cell. You've now created an inflammatory barrier where they can't get in. So if, if a doctor is disagreeing with this, then they need to go see the research because this is, the, I would say, the number one emerging nutritional concept that you are going to hear over and over again in the coming years. And it ties into this 12% of Americans being metabolically unfit. It's because what happened when we went low fat it, and we, we started to even went low carb is we started changing the, the structure of our food and putting more toxins in and putting more um, different types of oils in. And it really messed up the cellular inflammatory response. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not so much the food, it's been what's done to the food, how That's it's right. been adulterated that creates the, the major challenges. So as far as with the fasting, like a girl, and when you hit your forties and then sort of that that health crisis occurred. How is it different, Mindy, as women get into the postmenopausal ages and their progesterone and estrogen levels start to decline, or there's a ratio between them that's unfavorable, or they're not detoxing them effectively, or and all of the above? How does that relate to the the impact it's having on their health and and how they may have to do the fasting a little bit differently? Yeah. So I think what most women are not aware of, and I put myself in the same category, I was absolutely there, is that at 40, there, around 40, there is a switch that happens in our hormonal system. And literally your ovaries are like, I'm out, I'm going to retire. I've only got a few eggs left. So, but it's going to take me about 10 to 15 years to wind myself down. It's not like a switch that happens overnight. But what it does it is it has to send the job of making sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. It has to send it over to the adrenal glands. Well, all you got to do is go out with a 42-year-old woman to understand the stress levels that are hitting in the early 40s. You know, that's usually a time when women are balancing family and work life. Uh, you get deeper into the 40s. You've got, you know, kids going off to college. Um, most, you know, a lot of marriages have been longstanding at that point. There might be a lot of stressors. So that, that switch over to the adrenals can send women on a crazy hormonal ride. So one of the things you want to do is really mind cortisol production. You want to mind insulin 
And so this is where fasting can really help. Something as simple as intermittent fasting is incredible for women over 40. And then what I did, and this is what is in the menopause reset, which women over 40 can get now, and will be really highlighted in fast like a girl that comes out at the end of this year, is how do we time different fasting lengths to our menstrual cycle? Women in their 40s are typically perimenopausal, so there's going to be kind of a, a little bit of chaos of when things come and go. Um, but when we learn how to fast to the rhythm of these sex hormones, it's like magic. It's magic. I mean, there's I'm I'm 52. I have not been on HRT. I've not been on bioidenticals. Um, I have navigated menopause with 100% natural and, um, and done it really, really well. And then you've got women with PCOS and infertility that are down in their 30s and their 20s. We've taught them how to fast like a girl. And all of a sudden you got them coming out of infertility where you see PCOS being resolved. So the, the major difference is that we need to take into consider consideration cortisol and insulin to map it so that we can balance these sex hormones. Yeah, I mean, that's a great springboard into maybe unpacking that a little bit more in detail because I definitely, as I used to call myself, the adrenal fatigue recovery ninja, although my wife was like, no one knows what adrenal fatigue is. Why are you calling right. yourself that? So, um, yeah. but anyway, so I, I do work with a lot of women that we do their Dutch test and we look at their genomics and we start measuring their glucose and their ketones and get them more metabolically flexible and dial down the inflammatory response and get them circadian rhythm aligned. But it does come down to different phases. Like I always ask them, are you better at the very beginning of the month or at right around ovulation to get an insight on where their dominance may be or whatnot, but maybe unpack that a little bit for us, Mindy, in terms of once they dial that in, it, of course, it's going to be different from women, to women, but um, as far as a general rule of thumb, based on the different phases and where a woman is and, and so forth, what, what is the I guess the, the ideal way to, to build that out with. Yeah. And what the best way to do that is to map it to a 30 day cycle. And so uh, I'll, I'll just use the menstrual cycle as the map. Um, and then we can talk because the postmenopausal and perimenopausal women then always have little nuances there. Um, and this is really should be taught to 13 year olds when they go through puberty. I don't know why we're not teaching this. And that's a big part of my mission is getting all women to understand this idea. And here's how it looks from day one to day 10 of your menstrual cycle. And I just want to point out that day one, because this question comes up a lot, is the first day you bleed. So the first day you got to use some feminine care uh, help assistance. So on day one to day 10, your body's trying to make estrogen. And estrogen really likes you to keep glucose down. Estrogen really likes to, when you fast, that if you are insulin resistant, you will be estrogen dominant in the bad way, the bad estrogens and the good estrogens are, are many times um, don't show up for you. So you throw estrogen off in insulin resistance. So we want in those first 10 days, we want less carbs, we want more fasting so we can make ourselves insulin sensitive. Now, when we move into ovulation, day 11 to day 15, now you've got estrogen and testosterone at their peak and a little bit of progesterone. This is the tricky part. When hormones come surging in, 
you also get a, it signals for the tissues to release toxins out of their, out of stored tissue. So like lead is stored in the bones. Um, we've got mercury stored in nervous tissue. So a lot of times what will happen is talk, you'll get this toxic dump at ovulation. So we don't want to stimulate a lot of autophagy. We want to bring the fasting down. So I usually say somewhere about 15 hours of fasting during um, your ovulation window is amazing. Whereas in those first 10 days, you can go up and fast 24 hours if that's your gig or if you want to do a three-day water fast. The other thing that's really important about ovulation is you, when you make these hormones, you've got to break those hormones down. So you've got to feed your microbiome. You've got to take some pressure off your liver. Those two organs are key for breaking down um, the estrogen, all of all three of them. So this is a great time during ovulation to up all of your leafy green vegetables, that five-day period, get off alcohol, anything that would stress the liver. Then when you come out of ovulation, there's a dip in hormones again. So from day 16 to day 19, you can go back into keto. You can go back into fasting. You'll do great. But at day 19, this is the clinch. This is like the key. What happens at day 19 is in order to make progesterone, you've got to raise glucose. So all the women listening, how many times did we say our carbohydrate cravings go up the week before our period? Well, there's a, there's a physiological reason for that. Your body needs more glucose in order to make progesterone. So we want to feed it the right kind of glucose. So this is your squashes, your potatoes, your beans, your tropical fruits, things like that become very, very uh, key the week before your cycle. This doesn't mean you go sit on the couch and eat a tub of ice cream and a, a box of pizza. This is giving it the right glucose. And no, you also don't want to raise cortisol that week. So no fasting. You want to kind of just go into more of a nurturing phase uh, of, to your body. And it looks completely different than the other phases of your cycle. No, that's awesome. I really appreciate it. I always say I do these interviews for my clients, but then meanwhile, like I'm taking notes because it's like I you get to listen over my shoulder. I had that mostly right, except I get I got it right for the wrong reasons. I, I, I do find that that third to fourth week right before their cycle that they have those carb cravings and that they need to get those healthy carbs. I guess I didn't look at it from 16. I looked at it basically that sort of 16 through 21 that progesterone is stiff, but it really falls once it's not being uh, fertilized. And then that's where that healthy um, carbohydrate support to support that progesterone fall, I guess is super key. And then the other thing is um, right around that ovulation time, I was right on board with the B vitamins and more that mTOR growth. You think about the body getting ready for fertilization and, and growing. Um, so those are really good. Can you maybe explain a little bit on why you want to keep that cortisol low at that, at that yeah. last sort of week of the cycle? Yeah, really good question. So here's the interesting thing about hormones is that three hormones require one precursor to be made. So Cortisol, progesterone, and testosterone all need a steroid hormone called DHEA. And if you are low in DHEA, this is one of the major contributors to adrenal fatigue, which to your point is just a big kind of trash can statement. But in order to make cortisol, you've got to have enough DHEA. You got to have enough DHEA to make progesterone and testosterone. 
So when we go into the time when our body is going into max progesterone making, if we're under a lot of stress and it could be stress in a relationship, stress at work, it could be too much exercise, it could be too much fasting. Um, anytime we're requiring our body to make cortisol, it will not make progesterone. So we've got to be the most sensitive to cortisol's uh, presence that week before, which is why if you actually, again, to the women that are listening, how many times do we feel like not working out? How many times do we want to eat more carbohydrates? How many times do we, we're not feeling as social? We want to sit on the couch. You're, you are bi biologically programmed to go into this more nurture phase that week before. And a big part of that is because your body's saying to you, please don't give me, please don't raise cortisol because I got to take all the DHEA that's in you right now and make progesterone. And if you don't, you're going to start spotting, you'll get, you may miss periods, you may get infertility, you can end up with like clotting when you actually start your period. These are all signs that progesterone wasn't well-minded that week before. Awesome. So, so the way I would look at it too, is I would look at it because they're potentially downstream, Mindy, I used to explain the Plinko or the Plinko in Price is Right, and they would drop the Plinko and it would yeah. go down the, the thing. Um, well, I think that if you're demanding cortisol to be produced because your body's under stress, um, you're exercising, you're not giving it the carbs that it needs, which is a stressful event, which really has a paradigm in terms of give yourself the grace and understand physiologically your body needs those healthy carbs to support the, the, the physiology. But at the same time, you're, you're telling progesterone, you could keep your trap door from falling and having to go and fulfill those cups that are empty that are requiring the demand and, and be available for yourself for all the physiological reasons. So I, I don't know. And again, it's not a correction to you, but the way my brain would be is it's not so much that the DHEA is making the progesterone. It's just that the, you're, you're not requiring that trap door to go down the twinkle sort of sideways and rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. Does, yeah. that, does that make yeah. sense to you? Same, same, that's exactly the same thing that I'm saying. Just right. Right. That's what I mean. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's a, I like the way you're looking at it. Um, and I think what we don't realize as women, for sure, we don't realize that how much stress affects all the other hormones. And I think that isn't emphasized enough. So when we look at DHEA's um, role in making cholesterol or um, cortisol and progesterone, you know, I look at cortisol and progesterone a little bit as competitors. And we need to make sure that we're allowing pro progesterone to shine when she needs to shine. Yeah. You know, especially when they're in that perimenopausal range, when let's say it's a relay race and the anchor of the relay race has already ran 25 laps. And now you're saying, Hey, you're in your twilight zone here, take over the That's baton. Right. And it's like, That's what do you right. mean? I got to take over. I've already been running the race. Yes. Meaning like if you're going to make that transition from, from having your, 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 your woman factory to say, okay, I'm done here. You know, adrenals can take over the, the baton, but the baton's already been running around the, the track at crazy rates already. How do you expect it to, to do that? Does right. that make sense? Yeah. And you know, I mean, this, this is a bigger philosophical question, but, um, 
I think that women aren't given in this modern world, we're not given enough grace for when we should not push on through stress. You can push on through stress pretty well in the first half of your cycle. The back half of your cycle, it is going to cause hormonal havoc. So, but you know, in this day and age, you've got a lot of women in the workplace. You've got a lot of women that are balancing kids and a career, and there's no opportunity to slow down. So the hormones, sex hormones are going off in, in unprecedented rates. So it's just this conversation alone is probably causing some women to go, wow, I never even thought about this. And that's what happened to me when I went through perimenopause. It was like, when I started to unpack this, I realized I call it the, uh, it is not, this isn't my term. Libby Weaver came up with a, 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 and it's a great book called rushing woman syndrome. And when I, when I read that book, it's really a biochemistry book about what happens when a woman doesn't mind her cortisol uh, levels that I, I, I literally wept and was like, no wonder I have had some hormonal challenges. I'm not resting. I'm not nurturing at the right times. Yeah, you know, and I love your mission with every 13 year old and even younger, unfortunately, because the environment is, you know, is accelerating that with growth hormone and what we do with our food sources, like adulterating, like we talked about earlier. I got a 19 year old daughter and if her phone isn't surgically attached to her hand, right, you know, and then not even the 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 5G, let alone 6G and 10G or whatever you want to call it. But maybe we could talk about that because I find that at that age too, they're not only infallible and they're immortal and they'll live forever, but they don't realize the amount of carbs that they eat if they were to track it, nor do they realize the epigenetic influence of foods that are adulterated or um, 5Gs that are in their hands or uh, other things, but what impact and what's going on? Like, what do you suggest? Or I guess maybe take the conversation from yeah. there for that 19 year old that just doesn't, was never taught at 13, but now they're doing all this, this sort of um, un, unhealthy, not aligned epigenetic lifestyle that is making things worse. Maybe let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I have a 22 year old daughter and a 19 year old son. So as you're talking, I'm like, I can give the advice, but I'm not sure how to, I can give the health advice, how to get it into them. Parenting Plus your mom too. You don't really know what you're talking about, yeah, right? That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. so I'll tell you what I would like to say if they were listening to me, um, yeah. you know, I think there's a new concept that I've been really studying and I think it encompasses everything that you're asking in this question. And the concept is called the cellular danger response that happens. It's a defense response of our cells. And when our cells get the wrong oils, they get too many carbohydrates, they get toxins, they get stress from the, the, I I was thinking when you're talking about the, the phone being surgically attached to her hip. So every time she goes on there and sees something that somebody did on Instagram that upsets her, she gets a stress, a, a, a surge of cortisol. Um, when we're not getting enough sleep, when we're getting Wi-Fi, I mean, you name it, when all of these things are happening to the cell, the cell goes into shutdown. 
And in this shutdown, what those mitochondria inside the cell do is they use the production of ATP to create a, be a signaling molecule to the other cells saying, we're in stress, we're in a crisis, we need to go into running from a tiger mode. Well, once in a crisis, you won't burn fat, you, inf you won't bring down inflammation. The mitochondria aren't giving you enough energy to be able to heal. You're not getting enough energy to think. And the body starts to go into this massive breakdown mode. The challenge we have with a 19-year-old is they feel invincible because the frontal lobe doesn't fully kick in until they're 25. So they're, they're, they're not understanding logical consequences. So on the, the parenting part of that, what I've just done with my kids is really like, you know, if your energy isn't where you want it, if your sleep is not where you want it, if your moods aren't where you want it, how do we take your body out of this danger response? And at 19, honestly, this is what I love about fasting just in general. If you put a 19 year old on an intermittent fasting, just 13 to 15 hours routine, and what you're doing is you're calming that response down. It's bringing inflammation down. So it's, it becomes a really cool tool to take you out of that response. Yeah, I was going to say, hence the need for intermittent fasting, right? And now we're back to, and of course, the four things that they could be doing in terms of removing the oils and, and yes. getting rid of the colors and the artificial flavor. So, okay. So then as far as what I like also about the concept of the, the reset and the reset Academy is there's so many ways to customize fasting. So let's maybe kind of go into that. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out because in the new book, I talk a lot, uh, there's a whole chapter on how to build a fasting lifestyle. And there are three key measurements to a fasting lifestyle. One is that you vary your length of fasts. And the reason we want to vary it, and this is common to people who fall in love with intermittent fasting, is they want to do the same thing all the time. They're like, oh, this got me in a result. So I'm just going to keep doing it. And then one day they hit a wall and they're like, wait, this isn't giving me a result anymore. And it's because they didn't vary it. So we teach in our Reset Academy how to vary this your different fasting lengths. Now you can vary it to your cycle, like I explained earlier. You can do a weekly variation. You can do a seasonal variation. And knowing what you're trying to achieve with your health becomes really important. Step number two of the fasting lifestyle is you got to vary your foods. We've got, we've got close to 4,000 different species of bacteria in our gut. We're still discovering more. And each one of those species of bacteria needs a different food. So when we eat the same 15 foods over and over and over again, we create a monoculture of these bacteria, which affects everything from neurotransmitter production to estrogen breakdown. So we teach in our academy, how do you vary your foods? And then, like I said, how do, how do you vary your foods to a woman's menstrual cycle? How do you vary them according to menopausal cycles? Things like that. And then the third one, and this one is really important, I think for everybody, but I really want to say it's incredibly important for women, which is surrounding yourself with a community to do health. And here's why there's something and I read about this in the menopause reset. There's something called the hormonal hierarchy where sex hormones in order to balance those sex hormones, you've got to be insulin sensitive in order to be insulin sensitive. You've got to get cortisol in check. And in order to get cortisol in check, your fastest way to get cortisol to balance is by understanding oxytocin. 
And oxytocin, we get in so many places in our life, but one of the biggest places we get is through human connection. So when you enter into doing a activity, like we just got done doing a three-day water fast in here, and not everybody did it, but the people that wanted to do it, we rallied around each other. We do 15-day experiences of different fasts all the time in my academy. And the purpose of that is community because community will raise oxytocin, which will lower cortisol, which will lower insulin and will raise sex hormones. It's literally that simple. But we've given so much power to medication. We've given so much power to our doctors. We forget that this chemical balance that I just spoke of, we can do on our own without any money, you know, without anything other than sheer intention and knowledge. And that's what we're trying to teach in the academy. You know, it was awesome. I was going to say, like, as you were building up that, I was going to start to talk about oxytocin. Um, because what Mindy, I do a lot of genomics. Like I'm a super nerd in that way. And one of the things I tell people is this is my evolution is I had my own adrenal fatigue problem. And people looked at me like I was crazy when I would go to the doctor. I hadn't even heard of it. I had an exercise physiology degree. I had a psychology degree at my doctor of chiropractic and hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. My wife pregnant with twins. And uh, what's this thing called adrenal fatigue? I would go to the doctors and they would look at me like I'm crazy. And then I went down those rabbit holes. So, and then I heard about HPA axis, which I don't even think is a good term any that explains the extent of what's going on. So what, what I looked at now is that it's a demand and supply problem. You are not producing enough energy at the, at the demand you need to. Um, And then you go into cell danger and your body, you know, makes choices of what it can do with that available limited amounts of funds. Mm. The other way I look at it from a genomic standpoint is you have too many cars on your mast cell highways. Mast cells actually stimulate your HPA axis. So anything that stimulates mast cells is going to stimulate your HPA axis, going to increase your demand. Things like iron overload, iron dysregulation, which I talked about at the biohacking conference, which no one is talking about from a copper deficiency standpoint. Then there's also um, EMFs, there's mTOR driving factors, there's glutamate, there's Lyme, there's stress, there's dopamine. That was the other thing I was going to say is not only is that phone creating that cortisol, it's creating a dopamine surge, which the dopamine is causing the mast cells. So you, but, but here's the amazing connection is oxytocin puts its foot on, on that whole process as well. Mm -hmm. So that's a really amazing thing. Um, And then the other thing I'll tell you is I, we do um, an oxytocin receptor uh, gene polymorphism that studies have shown that those people are more likely to be empaths, believe it or not. So what ultimately that means, we don't know if the gene is upregulated or downregulated. So is that receptor increasing its activity or is it decreasing its activity? We're not sure, but what we do know is that your antenna is higher and it's bringing in all the frequencies from the world. And whether we're going through social media or lockdown or isolation or biased information that is being Um, given to us from the media so that you have the Hatfields versus the McCoys, whatever it may be, all of that is that person is going to be more, more impacted by that, which is going to increase their oxygen consumption rate. And if they're not respiring at the cellular level effectively, 
now they're going to have a demand and supply problem even further. So the very first thing that I explain to people when I do a genomic interpretation is I need you to be aware that you have this polymorphism, whether it's one parent or two parent, but we tend to see these people being social work, healthcare, education, community service. And you need to know that no is a complete sentence. You need to have a boundary. You need to know that you're not Mother Teresa, that you need to save the world. You need to be able to like turn that off because that's gonna like, as much as you can do your fasting and as much as you can do your a, 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 whatever, your, your antioxidants and your nerf too, and your no glutamine or, or no, gluta, no gluten or whatever, you need to be aware of that tendency of you're an empathic person and oxytocin is behind that. So I just wanted to share that with you because I, I knew that. you were going, yeah. I had never heard, so are you yeah. saying that there is a gene that makes you more prone to be an empath. And Correct. in that, what it does is it creates resistance to oxytocin or it creates in, in it, you and you have more receptors for oxytocin. We don't know it's the oxytocin receptor gene. So it codes for making the oxytocin receptor. We don't know if it's upregulated or downregulated. So does it produce more or does it produce less? But the end result is that person will be more empathic so that they're getting more frequencies to their antenna, whether it's upregulated and there's more antennas to hit or it's downregulated, it, it, you know, we're not sure, but that's, um, it, it's one of the very first gene things that I go over with someone where they want to know like, well, am I gluten sensitive or this, you know, right. is mold a problem? I was like, well, before we even do that, you need to know you have this tendency. And they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Like I knew that was a thing, but yeah, I'll, I'll send you the information yeah, after. I'd love, so to, just, I'd love yeah. to, because one of the things that around the cellular danger response that I see is that, and, and Wi-Fi is a great example. We could sit and argue about Wi-Fi all over the place. And you've got people saying it do, 5G doesn't affect the human cells. You've got other people saying it's going to be our demise. And what I think we're, we're missing in that conversation is that everybody's cellular response is going to be different. Genetics is one part of it, but what toxic load you have, what your diet's like, what your sleep's like, like everything we've talked about, it all is going to affect how your cells respond to your environment. So what you just taught me was there's another way of looking at the fact that an empath is soaking up more of the what's going on in the world and maybe having a stronger or quicker cellular danger response. So that was cool. Yeah. Please send me the information. Yeah, I love I will. that. Yeah, I will. And I, I learned that, you know, we, we don't want things too little. We don't want things too much. We want it in sort of that hermetic bell-shaped curve um, amount. And you're right. Everyone is different. Um, and, I, you know, to your mentor and colleague, Pompa, Daniel Pompa, was talking about with Chernobyl and how the soils can really adapt and our bodies always adapting. But we don't want it to be prolonged because then that way it's no longer hermetic stress. Right. So I think, yeah. The, the, but um, so anyways, the question, I want to be respectful for your time. The, and I could do part two, part three, part four. Yeah, I'll come back. I told this you initially we we're going to do, OK, this should only be five hours today. Yeah, so, right. You um, did say it going to be five yeah, hours. <laughs> yeah. So, so what I like to ask, and it's, it's probably a springboard to everything we've talked about, but of all of that, I always ask, Hey, this is the truth about health podcast. And there's a lot of sacred cows 
And there's a lot of misinformation and completely wrong information and not so true information. But as it relates to health, Mindy, what would you tell the younger self, Mindy, the bright eyed and bushy tailed, uh, now that you're the sage like um, expo- experience, <laughs> Mindy, what would you have told the younger one that isn't necessarily true about health that could have helped you a lot quicker or faster or further? Oh, it, uh, this one's very clear. Get to know your hormonal cycle and map every lifestyle habit you have to your hormone, to your menstrual cycle. I, I am still to this day blown away that I figured this out for myself at 43. I should have been taught at you know 13, like I said earlier, how to map everything from food to exercise to supplements. I mean, everything. And this is what we're doing now with the book coming out at the end of the year is we're mapping everything to the cycle. But I think that is the biggest sacred cow that women, there's one diet for women they should do all month long. I call BS on that. You should be changing your exercise. You should be changing your supplements. I I mean, there are so many things that we need to start to teach women how to map to her menstrual cycle. So that's what I would have told her is get to know that cycle well. Yeah. And, you know, especially in lieu of what we have environmentally or epigenetically, even much more important. I'm sorry to ask one more, but I really do because it was on the tip of my paper and I didn't get to ask you it because I was enthralled with everything else. So one of the things I loved about your presentation was you went to a community I think it was maybe in North Carolina or South Carolina. Oh, yeah. And you felt like you nailed the, I, I, I could totally resonate it. Like you were like, yes, I'm hot stuff. I totally right, nailed yeah. the talk. And then people didn't walk away with actionable. What can I do about it? So can you get, sort of give us sort of an overview of what that was and maybe how that changed your mission to making sure that you're not just giving information, but you're actually making sure that you're imparting change by giving people tools that can be implemented versus the theory that you, we feel as providers. Cause I think that's a mission for me too, you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was a wake up call. And the short version of that story literally was that uh, at the height of the pandemic, well, I, I mean, it was like three months into the pandemic Uh, a principal in South Carolina reached out to me. She had watched my YouTube videos and asked if I would come and talk to her uh, teachers, her high school teachers about metabolic syndrome and how to help. And they were at that time, that town in South Carolina was having an outbreak of COVID. Everybody was very concerned. So I show up, I give the Zoom presentation. It was all on Zoom. And to your point, I was like, I nailed it. I I gave them the nutrition advice. I gave them so much. And at the end of the call, a very brave man raised his hand and he said, you know, I hear your theory on, on oils, but I got to tell you that when I'm looking at a, at a set of peanut butters, that if I want to buy the one with good oil, it's $8 more a jar than the one with bad oils. And that's $8 that I don't have. And then another woman raised her hand and said, you know, I totally honor what you just said, but you got to understand how hard we're working. So when I leave school at five o'clock in in the early evening, I really just go through McDonald's and I pick up fast food because I'm so exhausted to do anything else. And my, my takeaway was I had given all this fancy nutrition advice. I'd given all this, these fancy treatment plans, but what these people needed was a tool that was free and was time efficient. And that's what fasting is. And so I really came out of that sort of kicking myself, but also fueling my own mission that what I love about fasting is that 
every human on the planet can do it. You don't need the resources. You just need the knowledge. And I literally, we changed the motto on my, on my YouTube channel that is now called knowledge is your fuel, because that's really what you need to learn how to fast. You just need knowledge. And once you get that down, it all works perfectly for your body. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. You know, just as a as a summary or what I picked up from the A4M meetings is we as providers are in, I guess, burdened, and I wouldn't say burdened, but responsible for having a socioeconomic change because you're, you're right. Like you look at how the food bill uh, subsidizes foods and doesn't give uh, subsidies to foods that are are more healthy for socioeconomic people. It's just such a travesty to me. I think that we are we are burdened to make uh, an impact through the supply and demand of of the customer. And if we avoided certain things, we could make a bigger impact. I'm still toiling. How do I implement that with my mission so that we're not just giving good advice, we're free doing things that are free, but also impacting the way that legislature and, and public health is practiced and farm bill is, is taxed. I think we're charged with a mission as doctors and educators to do something more than just give the information. So sort of carrying on what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and it really, when you start to look at the paradigm around food and health, it's so broken and we can't, the subsidizing farms that are, are mono cropping and have no nutrient value is not great. And there, I mean, there's so many things we can unpack about how we do health and food that is causing, contributing to the metabolic problem that we have. Again, this is why I, I used to say, we gotta go after big food. We gotta help correct big pharma. And I actually now believe that we may never crack those two. There's too many profits driven in it. And it's and people don't want to wake up. They'd rather be told your cornflakes in the morning, your frosted flakes are going to be just fine for you. Um, so this is why fasting to me is the tool because it, it is a, a resource everybody can use. No, and listen, I appreciate your time and, and your dedication and, and your mission and um, I'm aligned with everything that you do. I, I'm excited to post the links to all the different tools that you offer and your your Reset Academy and so forth. So thank you so much for joining us today, Mindy. And I wish you nothing but future success in everything you do. Oh, thank you, Joel. Joel, this was really enjoyable. I really loved it. So thank you for this great conversation. Thank you. And you have a great rest of your day. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of your Adrenal Fix podcast, where our goal is really to teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their energy back quickly. And if you happen to be suffering with your own exhaustion and fatigue-based problems and you're not getting answers and you're frustrated and you're concerned and you really want to get back to the things that you're not able to do, then maybe it's time for you and I to book a discovery call. If that makes sense to you or what we talked about makes sense to you, then this is an opportunity for you and I to troubleshoot and figure out what's going on in your body, what's not working, what have you tried, how's it impacting you. Most importantly, figure out where you want to go with your health and why you're not able to bridge that gap. And if I feel I can help you in all the things that you need to be doing 
I can recommend to you, I'll let you know. And if I don't know, I'll tell you that too. But my goal is for you to leave this call with a step-by-step -step game plan to learn how to bridge that gap and get your life back quickly. If I feel I can help you, I'll tell you what that will look like to work together. However, there's no obligation to do any further work and there's no charge for the call whatsoever. It's just really a one-on-one -on -one time for you and my team member or myself to get true value out of what's not working with your health and what are you missing in order for you to make that next step. If that makes a lot of sense to you, then go ahead and go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com, all one word, adrenalfatigueworkshop.com forward slash apply. Now spacing is limited and it's a first come first first served basis and you have to be willing to to make that next step to get your health back or at least be serious about it if we feel we can help each other just go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com forward slash apply and i look forward to giving you value and getting you your health back